Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. Trish, we had a great show today. We've got two, not one, but two fantastic guests waiting in the wings from our friends at SAP Success Factors. We're going to be talking about a lot of things, company culture, sustainability, diversity, equity and inclusion, mobility. I mean, there's a ton to get to. I want to get to it all quickly, get our friends on uh, as quickly as we can. But first, Trish, of course, we got to do the question of the day. Here it is. Okay, I'm ready. Trish, you have just made a big decision. I don't know if you'd realize that. I have. You've decided okay. to take a year off and sail around the world. Wouldn't that be nice? What is the name of your boat? Oh my gosh. The name of my boat is Lloyd Dobler. Okay. All right. I, I'm not say sure. anything. Oh, okay. That, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Lloyd Dobler. It's okay. the Lloyd Dobler. You know why? Because Lloyd Dobler was, was very progressive. And, and if you need to go back and watch the movie, say anything, you know, he was going to be into kickboxing, sport of the future. He was also not going to buy, Someday. sell, yeah. or process anything bought, sold, and process. That's yeah. true. Lloyd very, Dobler. That's yep. a very Gen X answer. I like it. Um, <laughs> I, came up with a, I came up with an obvious one and then a better one. My first obvious one was just out of office, right? That seems like a kind of an oh, obvious one out of okay. office. And then my other one I think I'd probably go with is for my boat is that sounds like a you problem would be the name of my boat. Cause I'm like I, checked out. How about that? I like both of those. I think my other one, this was actually my license plate for a long time. Also another Gen X reference was jealous much from Heather's. <laughs> so I feel like jealous movie. much would be a very good boat name, right? I think it's important for all Gen X parents to introduce their children once they get old enough to Heather's as a movie. I will, I will, I will right? claim that as a very important cultural touch point it's, that uh, we'll so cover bad. that on my other podcast, Gen <laughs> X Movies Daily, that I okay. that I do uh, once every three days. Okay, we need to get right to the point, Trish, which is not both thing, but our guests can weigh in on it if they'd like. Uh, we've got two fantastic guests waiting to join us. They're actually sitting together. If we do uh, post any of the video from the show, it's pretty cool to have like two guests like together in the same place because we've been doing like remote forever, right? And everybody's in their basements, but that's right. We have uh, Jill Papelka here. She's the president at SAP Success Factors. Jill, how are you? I'm great, Steve. Thanks for having me. Very good to see you. First time on the show, I believe, which is nice. It is my very first time on the show. Yeah, debuting on HR Happy Hour. I love it, right? It only <laughs> took 13 years to get you on. That's probably <laughs> that's probably my fault. But uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, sitting alongside Jill in the same room, as I said, is Meg Bear, longtime friend of the show. Meg is the chief product officer at SAP Success Factors. Meg, how are you? I am so excited to be here, although I'm wondering if I'm on the right podcast, because I do think I belong on the Gen X movie. Uh, <laughs> Gen X movies daily. Well. Yeah, we'll yeah. have you on there as well. Yes. That, I'm gonna tell you what, that, that podcast is very fun. Uh, well, great to see both of you, uh, Jill and Meg. Uh, it's, it's nice to see you guys. You guys are together in the same place. So maybe uh, Meg, uh, just tell, tell us where you're at there. Yeah, so we did convince Jill to leave Texas and come to Palo Alto. Um, we've done some video this week here in our app house in our Palo Alto headquarter office. So pretty exciting, pretty fun. That's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's good to see you guys together and sort of maybe that sort of approach to uh, normalcy again, baby steps maybe, right? To get back to where we can all sort of be together a little bit more frequently, which, which would be a really cool thing. And something we want to talk about a little bit on the show as well. Before we get into it, Meg and or Jill, want to weigh in? You got a boat, you're sailing around the world. Do you have a name? I'm sure Jill's going to do better than me. So I'm going to go first. 
Uh, best I could come up with without any pre-thinking is probably nerd alert. So oh, although I, like I am jealous of the Lloyd Dobler, I did a, a full high five virtually on that one, but nice. nerd alert is the best I got. Well, super excited about um, my boating adventure that's about to take place. I think seeking bigger challenges, seeking better adventure, something like that, uh, yeah. and, and maybe circle South America first. Haven't seen much of South America, heard that it's absolutely beautiful and lots of adventuring to do there. So nice. you know, I think we have so many challenges that we face in the work world today, but there are so many other challenges, right? Uh, like sustainability, we'll talk a little bit about today uh, that you could go learn a lot if you're boating. Yeah. And seeking adventure. So I think we should do that together on okay. the next uh, HR happy hour. There you go. That'd be Sounds fun. good. Do we'll rent podcast. a boat. Do the podcast from the boat somewhere. That would be really, really cool. Okay. It's a great. So we want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world of work and certainly uh, what you guys are seeing working with your many thousands of customers around the world. Like we're into kind of year three of, of to use the boat analogy, badly choppy waters or uh, turbulent waters, et cetera. What are some of the things that uh, you're seeing through your work with your customers that are, are remaining challenges as we head into 2022 and, and hybrid work kind of is still the norm for many organizations. What are some of the things that you're seeing that, that organizations are struggling with and you're trying to help them sort of to overcome? Well, Steve, I think the first thing is continuing the uncertainty, right? The challenge is we thought we were going to get through something. It was going to be finite and then we were going to be past it and back to normal. And that's not actually the case, right? So this continuing uncertainty, building confidence and agility. So businesses have to shift quickly their business model. And to do that, uh, they obviously have to change their skills landscape. And so dealing with that uncertainty, trying to get confident around where we are going, but maintaining your agility throughout that change is, I think, really important. Yeah, I'll just add one thing. Like the, this concept of agility, it's both the adaptability and flexibility of the business, the adaptability and flexibility of the organization, and the adaptability and flexibility of each individual, right? We're, we're seeing that sort of intersection of need because at the end of the day, we just have to get good at change. We have to get good at uh, adapting to whatever is thrown our way. And this is giving us a great opportunity to practice. Um, so if you, if you think about this uncertainty and the, and the corona waves as practicing for the future of work that is an adaptable one, I think you give yourself a better space to feel okay about the unknowing and uh, okay about figuring it out as you go. You know, I'm so glad that you frame it that way, Meg, because, you know, I think there is such a challenge, maybe pre-pandemic, we would say we wanted our businesses to be agile and we wanted our employees to be agile and leaders to be agile, right? But I don't know that everyone really was. Um, this goes to actually either of you or both of you. Obviously, you do have customers all over the world that you're working with and, and of all sizes. Have you seen that during the pandemic, it's actually that they've actually become more agile? Are they, are they feeling better about that? Or is it really just kind of still the status quo? We're all like, no, we're, we're not going to change. No, Trish, I'll take it. It's become very real, very fast because you had to, right? You, you didn't have an option. If you're going to survive, you had to become more agile. You had to learn how to shift more quickly. Learning has become absolutely critical, right? Digital learning, ease of learning and the flow of work. I mean, this is the kind of thing that, that every business leader is talking about because it leads you to that agility. And you've got to inspire your organization to get there. So I, I think we'll talk a little bit later maybe about Opportunity Marketplace, but understanding what internal talent mobility really means, inspiring people and making them feel safe 
that they can go have some agency in choosing where they want to go in alignment with um, with the direction of your company. It's really key because you're bringing these two important concepts together. Your business needs to be agile, but your employees want to have a little control over the, how they guide their career. So you've got to bring those two things together really quickly. Luckily, we have the technology and the data to do that today. That's great. Yeah, I one thing to add to that storyline, and that is the, the, the way that HR delivers service, the entire service delivery opportunity has an, its own agility capability that's, that's emerging as well. So in the past, again, uh, HR programs would be defined maybe once a year, maybe once every five years, and the service delivery mechanisms would be very static. But today what we're finding is, of course, how you manage compliance, how you manage onboarding, how you manage your, your general service delivery also needs to adapt. And so as we think about the products that we bring forward, we're really looking at it from how do we help HR with the agility side? And then of course, our, our passion, which is how do we help individuals be part of their own future? So good stuff. I think that you know, you're talking about um, two things that we've needed for a long time, right? We want companies to have the technologies, to have that data and that insight and to be able to make those sometimes decisions on a dime. And then we also want to make sure we're being very human with all of our employees that we're really embracing them holistically. And so it does seem like, even though it's a bad reason maybe for this to come about, one of the silver linings I think of the pandemic has been maybe taking more advantage of this and, and elevating the importance of that. You know, we're seeing everyone obviously still either working remote or hybrid. Um, Jill, for you, I would say, you know, do you think that this, this hybrid model is here to stay? Where are you kind of seeing people and companies on that journey of hybrid to going back to work or staying remote? Absolutely. Hybrid is here to stay. And we will always see some sort, some level of, of remote work in the industries where uh, you can do that, right? We have to recognize there are still some industries that um, that's much more difficult, right, to accomplish. But uh, it will it will always be a thing as we move forward. Now people expect it. Companies know that they can make it work. What I found is the companies that are being creative. Uh, really, they're inspiring their employees to use it wisely and to think about heads down work versus heads up work. Right? If you're doing heads down work in a spreadsheet, you can do that at home. But if you want to be creative, interact with other human beings, be inspired by the people around you, come into the office. Now, what that means is you don't need quite as much office space, right? So some of the HR leaders have gotten really creative with how to use their office space. I love these stories because they um, get me excited about all that we can do in the future. But some of them have taken you know, a corner of their office and, and made it a coffee shop because people want to collaborate and be creative at the office now. What a great way to use office space, right? To, to, so that you don't have to walk as far for your coffee. You can use your time more wisely. Um, so yes, a lot of creativity. Hybrid work is here to stay. SAP, in fact, has pledged to flex, which is our ability to give leaders and employees the empowerment uh, to choose how they work, where they work. And, and, you know, based on the job that you're doing, you can decide if you need to be in the office or not. You know, that was interesting, Jill. Uh, I was just reading something about this. Uh, I think there was some data out of the UK and, and it was talking about what people's uh, office workers, right? The types of people who could work remotely or could work in a hybrid fashion. And like, it was something like, uh, I, think it, I think it was like 96% 
of like financial services employees in the UK that, that were surveyed said they don't want to return to the former model, right? Which in financial services was largely five days a week or however many days, probably six in some of these organizations in the office. It was something like essentially almost everyone, right? Who was, who was surveyed does not want to go back to how things used to be. So regardless if an organization or their leaders are fully embracing this model. And we've seen lots of headlines uh, in some firms where certain CEOs uh, very reluctantly have embraced this model. I think they're going to have to, right? That seems very, very clear. Well, and I also saw that in the UK recently, I think the government is actually sponsoring a four-day workweek pilot, right? And so what they're trying to do is say, does this work? Does this work for more and more of our population? How do we support the companies that are willing to provide more life balance, to provide another alternative, right, to a five-day work week. Yeah, yeah. The, the four-day work week thing, right? We've been talking about for like thirty years. It, I don't know if it'll ever really happen in a mainstream way, certainly in the United States, but maybe. Like I'm hearing more about it, right, than I ever did before. Yeah, I really like the idea that what we're really doing is challenging our assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. We're applying creativity to say, what is it we're really trying to accomplish with work? What is it that, um, you know, what is the contract and the relationship that work is committing to the individual, to the organization, to the shareholder? And I think that if we, if we allow ourselves to take that to the next logical place, we could imagine that really the, the entire way we think about work could change dramatically over this next decade. Mm-hmm. And what I'm excited about with that is that that there's going to be a lot of creativity and a lot of things being tested out. And I think we're going to learn more than we ever imagined as a result of that. So I, I am personally thinking about this at less about a four day work week or a specific hybrid model and much more about a kind of a universe of trials of testing things and of, of an agile mindset to kind of come back and really rethink what does work even mean and how do we how do we get things done effectively productively for both the individual the organization the shareholder etc you know i i love that you um are thinking about it in a much broad more creative mindset when you're thinking about work in the way that it could potentially go because i think for a lot of us you know we were raised up in a in a much more rigid um, time for workers. And now that, you know, you might make it to the leadership position, it could be easy to just fall back on kind of that structure and that process and keep things the status quo. Right. But we're seeing that that's not working. So I love this idea of kind of taking off some of those barriers and even the four day work week, for example. Um, but I think, you know, for a lot of us, that's where we start, right? We start with just trying to make little baby steps. Um, one of the things I want to want to move to, and, um, you know, Jill, you've touched on this a little bit already, is, is people sustainability. Because I think that's something, when I think of creativity in the workplace and how we're working as a business and how we're tying our employees to that, um, the mission of the business and the culture of a business. Could you maybe talk a little bit about, I know SAP finds sustainability and and people um, very important. How do you all define that? And what does that look like for both you and your clients? So it is one of my favorite topics right now. Meg gets to hear about it a lot. uh, We talk about it often. Um, And so we'll, we'll talk about it from two different perspectives, I think, but those two different perspectives are really organizationally. How do you, how do you become more organizationally sustainable? Right. And then also from an individual's perspective. So let me start with individual, because obviously at, 
SAP success factors, we think about human experience management, about employees at the center of this process. When you hire an employee, what if you thought about that employee's lifetime career, which may or may not be at your company, right? Which may include multiple jobs, maybe in different parts of your business. What if you assess the aspirations, the career development goals? What if you really help support that individual throughout their lifetime career? I mean, it's a new concept, right? Because generally we hire someone in to do a specific thing with a specific skill set and bring a certain level of productivity to a certain part of our business. Let's take a step back and look at that from a human perspective, because I believe we could actually do more and, and people could deliver more over the course of their career if they're thinking about it in that more broad sense. But then there's also obviously the organizational approach. How do you make your organization more sustainable? Ensure that you've got the skills you need to be agile and move into the future and continue to innovate. We talk about growth mindset and ensuring that you have a culture that your people are allowed to fail fast, to do new things, right? And to follow their purpose and their passions, um, their whole self, really bring them to work every day as their whole self so that they can do more for your organization. Yeah. And I think that what's important about this is, again, when we're, when we really recognize that the, the true intention is sustainability, it starts making you think long-term about things. It starts making you understand that this is about the world we want to live in. And it's about our ability to create the future that we want to see happen. And so we think in terms of organizations' ability to take what they know today is a challenge, that things are changing, they need to be adaptable, they need to be agile, they have a skills gap problem. And instead of just trying to solve that problem, to recognize that that's a pattern and that it's a pattern that they can set themselves up to be building towards that sustainable future. So making decisions today to solve challenges of today, but in a way that really sets you up for being you know, able to solve the problems that are gonna come forward to you in the future. You don't know what they are, but you know what they look like. You know, they know, you know kind of how you could recognize them and what you're going to need to do about them. So setting yourself up to be good at change and good at adaptability in a way that is sustainable and long-term. That's I think really exciting and something that's uniquely um, a core value of SAP. So we're really excited to be part of the broader mission that SAP has for sustainability. Thank you for sharing that, both of you. I think that it's really a good example. I'm glad you mentioned that SAP believes this as well, right? For your own, your own employees, your own teams, um, and that you're actually living it. Because I think sometimes when you're in whatever organization you're working in, you get so tied to the day-to-day kind of tasks that you have to achieve. And so even if you're the head of HR or you're the CEO or COO or whatever role, right? You you would love to spend more time, I think, thinking about the long-term goals of the company and where things are going, but sometimes you just get sucked into those, the daily tasks. So I think it's a, it's a nice reminder to hear that, but it's also nice to hear that you can actually have a vendor partner who believes that and lives it themselves because then there becomes like, I would imagine information sharing between you and your clients and probably brainstorming and, and probably a high level of inspiration, I would think too. Are you finding that like when you're talking with your, your current clients or maybe even potential clients, right? Are you finding there's some synergies there? And Oh, absolutely, Trish. Like so um, around the world, right? There, there are people looking at this in all kinds of different ways. I mean, the, the global perspective on this really gets me excited. 
Um, first of all, the World Economic Forum has helped us by defining some, some metrics, three categories of metrics, right? The first is dignity and equality. That really kind of revolves around pay equity. The second is health and well-being. And, you know, we've, we've all talked about that uh, a lot lately, especially in the mental well-being category. And then skills for the future. So they've defined some metrics that if we can get more transparent on these metrics, companies are incented then to drive the trend line in the right direction, right? Toward greater pay equity, toward more diversity, equity, and inclusion, toward mental well-being, and toward skills for the future. So back to what we were just talking about, ensuring that you have a sustainable organization and that we have a sustainable global workforce by doing that skilling and reskilling that's necessary. Um, it's different in different places around the world, but everybody is thinking about it. And I think these three ways help us to really talk about it um, you know, on that macro level. Yeah, and Trish, your, your point about SAP as a partner and our customers being co-innovators is so important to us. So we have you know, the largest number of cloud customers that not only have um, implemented our software, but are really doing innovative things. And so it really helps us in identifying patterns. But to your other point about, oh my goodness, this is overwhelming and big and complicated. And I'm really struggling to figure out how to get my, uh, you know, my population vaccination status recorded. And so I know who can come in and who can't or whatever. Um, so I see our responsibility as a technology provider to, to simplify that for people to take what technology can do, which is um, solve problems at scale easily and to help ease that pain. And so again, we're really comfortable that the, the problem of today is very concrete and very specific. It's how do, I, how do I adjust to the changes that are right in front of me? But we see an opportunity for, as we help our customers do that, to create a foundation using technology to help equip them in a way that is future-proofed. And so that's really how we look at our commitment and our responsibility as a global technology provider. So we're in a really great seat at a, the right time to do some very big things. And it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, Meg, uh, earlier you mentioned kind of long-term, short-term, and uh, I had written down some notes as you were, you were speaking about sort of the difference between kind of a short-term approach to, to, to traditional relationship between the organization and the employee, right? Short-term, transactional in nature, very task-oriented versus the kind of a longer-term view, more relationship-based, right? Thinking about the future, thinking about sustainability that we've talked about. But certainly, right, the challenge for organizations and probably even your own organization at times, right? Uh, you've got those... Um, the pressures, right? That the quarterly pressure, even maybe in a retail environment, maybe even weekly, maybe even daily pressures, right? To meet certain quotas, you know, success metrics, KPIs, et cetera, et cetera. Are there ways that organizations that you work with are finding ways to balance the both? Because look, we know organizations need to continue to perform, right? They've got to, they've got to, they've got to stay open, right? And then they've got to, uh, you know, reward their uh, their shareholders, their owners, et cetera, et cetera. What's that balance has got to be tough sometimes? And I'd love for you guys maybe to share some observations or thoughts on how organizations can kind of balance that a little bit more effectively, thinking more about the long term. So the, the thing is, and you're exactly right, like this is, this is a moment where there's a lot of pressure. Anybody that has responsibility for a team 
or for uh, an organization or a, a line of business, there is a tremendous amount of pressure because you're you're kind of having to chart courses that didn't exist before. And you're and when you think about it on the people side, of course, I always say people are the most complex technology we have to deal with, right? And I think we all understand that it is really our individual humanity. Um, and our own individual well-being that has complexity at this moment in time. And so when we think about the whole self model, we really want to capture that to really help each of us show up as the fullness of ourselves, the fullness of our potential and the fullness of our gifts. And sometimes that whole self is about creating the space for which I can say, hey, my health is not in the position it needs to be, or my family situation is not in the position it needs to be. And so I need to step back and I need support and help. I need support and help from others or from my organization. Or sometimes it's like, hey, I want to hit the gas right now. I want to do more. I want to contribute more. I'm feeling stuck in a little bit of, you know, malaise about what I'm achieving. And I want to figure out how I can, can make a bigger impact. So getting better understanding and having these conversations at a much more human level, I think is the answer. It doesn't make it easy, but it absolutely makes it more powerful and definitely more sustainable because what it does is it creates a better understanding of how you can use the collective wisdom to problem solve those day-to-day -day challenges, right? This has been happening since the beginning of time, but what we believe is that um, we've been doing it in a very um, constrained way. We've constrained each individual and told them, you know, you have a separate life outside of work and inside of work. And then organizationally, we constrained it with, with, you have no flexibility to solve your problem. You have to do it the way you've always done it, very command and control. So we believe that the real solution is breaking that upside down, giving more agency and, and voice to the individuals and more flexibility and adaptability to the leaders and the organization. And we think that this is really the the structure that solves this problem doesn't make it easy again right. i don't want anybody to think i'm going to make you know the the challenges were under easy but i think that that bringing the fullness of humanity to solve the problem is the is the path that gives me hope and and for a long time steve we've had all kinds of organizational data financials numbers metrics think about the data that we have in the universe so much about exactly where the business is going so when you ask the question about how do we get a better balance between really growing the organization and then taking care of the people? We believe that through the whole self model, we can now give you the right data to give you those individualized employee experiences to help provide the agency that employees need to actually balance it out a little bit. Now we have as much data on the employee, the right kind of data as we do about the organization. I think that's what excites me the most, honestly, out of everything I hear from, from you all in the teams is that for so long in human resources, when I was doing that job, we didn't have enough people data and the data we did have was more around just turnover or <laughs> account, or I feel like for the first time in my career, maybe this feels like the time where you all have tapped into those metrics um, and, and team metrics that actually help drive the business. And I don't feel like we had that before. So I feel like you've really created not just a mindset and approach with, you know, HXM, for example, but it, it's all about how it all kind of comes together it, in the right way at the right time. Um, 
one specific thing I wanted to ask you about was around dynamic teams, right? Because there's a lot of talk. I know at Success Connect, we were talking about dynamic teams and a lot of those sessions. Could you maybe share how what we're talking about goes along with dynamic teams and how that's really going to help shape the next few years and long-term for companies? Yeah, I really wanted to jump in on dynamic teams just at the end of your last uh, session there, Trish, because this is not just about having employee data for your employees. It's about having employee data on the broader workforce, the ecosystem that's contributing to your business outcomes, right? So employees, yes. External contingent labor, yes. Partners, yes. Customers that are co-innovating with you, yes, right? So we want to bring all of those teams together. We, we've known for a long time that work doesn't happen in a hierarchy, right? In that hardline org chart of who you report to. It happens across different organizations. And, you know, in our case at SAP, across board areas, uh, you're always bringing together different skill sets. You don't want just diversity of skills, though. You want diversity of styles, diversity of lived experiences, of passions, right? So when you can bring together true diversity, create that psychological safety and inclusion, you're going to have the best outcomes. Dynamic Teams also allows you to then give credit to the people that contributed for their experience and for their contributions on that dynamic team. So Meg can nail this topic so much more than I can, but those are the things that I get excited about when it comes to dynamic teams. Well, can I just say too, before Meg goes, I love you're passionate about it too. It's not like this is just some script you're reading from. You can tell that you both like live and believe this. So I just want to at least point that out. Meg, honestly, oh. feel free, dive in deep on this because I know it's Yeah, the, the important. thing that I think is important is gets back to your, uh, your other uh, question earlier on, which is what are our customers doing? So our passion for dynamic teams came directly from research and um, discussions we were having with customers. And the one thing that we really observed was uh, twofold. The, the nature of work and, and what was a job has changed pretty dramatically. And I think any of us know that the, the job description that we got hired for and what we've actually contributed in our career at, at the place that we work are, are probably not exactly the same thing. And, and for years, we've been sort of grappling with this. How do we get better at that? And from my mind, this was always kind of upside down because you pretending that the only time you really wanna think about this is when you're doing talent acquisition. As opposed to when you have like real work to be done, you have an entire workforce that wants to help you achieve your mission. How do you help signal better what you're doing and how you're doing it? And so, so teams kind of came out of this discussion we had with customers and recognition that there's just a real blind spot of understanding what's really happening at work. And there's also a blind spot of how we even bring teams together, because right now, the way we do it without thinking about this structurally, it happens very organically. So what happens? Somebody says, hey, Meg, I need you to do something. I think, oh, who's done something like that for me before? Well, it's somebody I know, and I will name that person, and I will ask them to go figure that out for me. Well, that's great, but what if I'm new into the organization and I don't know anybody? Or worse, what if I'm sitting within the organization just dying for somebody to pick me, pick me, and, and yet, no, I'm not known to the person that gets asked that question. How do we fix that, right? How do we turn that into something that individuals have a say in and can contribute to? So it's a really exciting concept that we will be building on for the next few years because we believe deeply that there's a lot to be unlocked in the human potential as a result of this. 
Thank you. I know Steve wants to jump in, but can I just say one quick thing? Sure. The amount of time also that, that that specific dynamic team approach is going to save leaders has got to just be almost immeasurable. Because when I think back through my career, how many times I was asked, who do we have in the organization that can do X, Y, Z, right? And you just didn't know. Unless to your point, unless you knew them personally, you just didn't know. So the amount of time I think too, that companies spend on seeking out expertise within their own company and maybe even going out outside and hiring a consultant to do something that maybe someone in their own organization could handle and would love to handle. I feel like dynamic teams also has such a practical side to it as well, right? Beyond just sort of being inspirational and, and something you can be passionate about, there are actual concrete results too you're going to get from that. So. Steve, I know I yeah I want I wanted to ask a bit. question about something that's kind of adjacent right to what we're talking about, which is um, skills development, right? So for organizations to thrive, right, uh, individuals have to thrive within those organizations, and we know, right? We before the pandemic, I probably was doing shows about upskilling, reskilling, and the skills gap every other week, right? It's kind of I felt like that's all we talked about, and then we then we talked about pandemic for two straight years, right? And, but those problems of upskilling skills gap, needing to develop new skills, right? Whether it's new technologies, new ways of working to try to tap into new markets, whatever the reason, right? Uh, Organizations and individuals have that challenge, right? How do we, how do we grow? How do we get better? And now, right, with the layer in the, the quote unquote, great resignation on top of it, I think organizations know, or they, if they don't know, they should know soon that if they're not helping their employees, uh, by giving them opportunities to grow and develop their own skills and really advance their careers, that they're going to have problems holding on to people. I know at SAP Success Factors, you're taking this problem very, very seriously from the product perspective, right? And have released uh, some really interesting solutions to help organizations there as well. I'd love for you, uh, Meg, I'll throw it to you first to comment a little bit about just that that idea of how do we help individuals inside the organization to continue to grow and develop? And then what are some of the the product-driven solutions that your customers are taking advantage of to actually meet those needs? Yeah, so I think most people here know I spent a lot of time staring down this problem. I started um, you know, more than 20 years ago looking at this problem, thinking about how do we solve skills problems with learning? How do we solve skills problem with skills taxonomies? And um, you know, we kept coming back to it over and over again. And there, there's kind of two things that, that we, we didn't get wrong, but we didn't get right. And that is we, we were focused very much on thinking that there was a single solution and thinking that it was the organization's job to identify the problem, figure out the solution and shove the solution down the throats of all the people. <laughs> and so we tried to do that for a very long time. And again, I think our intentions were good, but it, it really wasn't yielding us the results. And then we sort of instantly said, all right, well, it's completely unsolvable. We just have to hire people that already have these skills because mm-hmm. we just can't figure it out. And you know, you, you cannot hire your way out of a skills gap problem now. And so, um, so what I'm so excited about the way that we're, we're really unlocking this problem is to quit pretending that there's only one solution. So our vision with the opportunity marketplace is to really use the mechanics of demand and supply to support the skills development challenge opportunity for both the individual and the organization. So we have an unfair advantage at success factors because we have a lot of things that are already in our portfolio that we know are critical. We know learning is critical. 
We know mentoring is critical. We know that, you know, sort of having organization uh, uh, mobility is critical. We understand that all of these things are things that help us grow. And what we've been able to add in addition with the opportunity marketplace is this understanding of short-term assignments, right? You, your learning skills oftentimes, most oftentimes, the, the really ones that the organization needs are really things that need to be augmented with on the job practice. And so bringing all of these things together in the opportunity marketplace gives me the, the belief that we really unlocked the, the missing bit. And the missing bit was engage the people to help you solve your skills gap problem. Mm -hmm. Quit pretending it's your job as HR or as an organization to train your way out of the problem, right? What you need is the individuals to learn and develop their way out of the problem. And so really it is bringing all these tools. So all the tools that we've invested in up till now are not without merit. They're just not sufficient. The opportunity marketplace is that missing piece that brings it all together and to help really engage the individual as a, as a joint solution to this challenge, really respecting the fact that people power business. It's our entire vision for HXM, but it's quite practically the only way this is ever going to work. The numbers just don't work any other way. Can I tell a story, Steve? Sure, please. Okay. So about a year ago, Meg's team was uh, demonstrating Opportunity Marketplace uh, for the first time to me. And uh, I was at home because we're all locked down, right? And my kids are there because we're all locked down. <laughs> and my kids are 16 and 18 and they're standing behind me. And I was like, hey guys, come look at this. Come give me your perspective, right? And they take us through it. And, and we're, we're getting a demonstration of looking in a single screen to see here are the opportunities in this area. Here are the opportunities to learn in this area. Here are the short-term assignments that you could take on. Here are the experts you can talk to in these areas. And immediately... My 18 year old says, I want to work there, <laughs> right? Because she can see the opportunities that get placed before you, right? So when organizations can present the opportunities that are relevant to the future of your company, um, you're going to really, um, you're going to do well with your employees. And, and I'm constantly thinking about the, the younger generation of employees who's coming up today because they have a different mindset than we all do, right? We've all been working for, everybody here has been working for more than 20 years, right? We're a generation away from the people that are coming in to the new workforce. How do they think about things differently? They think about it very differently and they're going to expect things like the opportunity marketplace. You know what? Thank you for sharing that story because, you know, I have two 18 year olds as well. I know Meg and Steve have kids all in the same kind of area of, of life. Um, I think that's one thing that if I could encourage HR leaders or other business professionals to do more of is ask your kids, especially if you have teenagers or maybe early twenties, they really do have a different perspective on this. And they are much more open to some of these things that as leaders, we might take a little bit longer to get comfortable just because we weren't raised in business in this, this way of being extremely agile and having a voice, right? And feeling comfortable saying what we want and what we need, right? I think we're the generation maybe with the problem. And it sounds like they're the ones that are going to sort of push that forward and just take it across the line. Um, the other comment I just wanted to make too is when Meg, when you were talking about just the opportunity marketplace and kind of the reasoning behind it and how it works. 
it really reminds me to go back to Jill, what you said when you said it's about giving more agency and voice to the individuals. And it is about that partnership. So I love that you kind of bring that full circle into everything you're doing, right? It's not just about opportunity marketplace. It's not just about dynamic teams, for example. It's taking that mindset throughout your product um, and making sure that your clients are able to easily see how that builds into both their leadership teams, but also, you know, some of these new hires they're going to be getting who need this done in a different way. Um, What kind of response, this goes out to either one of you, what kind of response are you getting from companies who might've been just a little more hesitant uh, before? Maybe they didn't operate in such a a way where opportunities were as, as transparent, maybe where employees didn't have such a voice. Are you seeing them start to embrace it or is there still some hesitation? Let me do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, it's, it's a little bit different globally. First of all, um, when we first announced Opportunity Marketplace, there was no hesitation. Everybody seemed to be diving in head first. Let's go. We need this, right? Everybody recognizes the need. Then as you start to, to really talk to customers individually around the world, there's still hesitation. I'll, I'll mention just Asian cultures, right? They're, they're traditionally much more you are at this level for two years, then you move up to this level for two years. And then, and we like to be very controlled in exactly how many people move from this level to this level. And so it's a much more traditional model. And I'd say that in Korea and Japan, they're struggling a little bit more with fully embracing this whole idea of giving agency and autonomy to employees because they lose that control that they're just very accustomed to, right? They're used to really controlling the workforce planning is very clear there. And so um, getting them to open their minds and see that the the workforce of the future truly is looking to do this because they can see through social media and other outlets all around the world that their peers at their age are getting these opportunities. And so I I think it might be a little bit slower because of the tradition that's so strong, but it's coming coming to them as well. Yeah. So waves of disruption are are not straight lines. We know this. Um, So first off, the, the response from the majority of people that, that we talk to is finally, we're so excited. We've been like, really, this is what we've been yearning for, for, for so long. But as Jill said, there's definitely the other side of it, which is the reaction of why would I want my employees to be in control? I need to be in control or some range of that um, ilk. And, and my response is always one of, you know, it is not my job to, um, to force people to transformation before it makes sense for their business, before it makes sense for their industry, before it makes sense even for their culture, their individual um, business culture. But it is my job to make sure that the technology is available for them and doesn't require a massive overhaul when they get into a situation where these kinds of solutions become necessary, helpful, or quite frankly, mandatory for them to compete. And so I do firmly believe that um, everybody is going to have their, their workforce expect more from them than ever before. And I don't care where you live on the planet. I think it's very clear, the pattern is clear that workers want a bigger voice and are going to be able to find it somewhere. Um, but I do agree that the adoption and the, you know, the comfort of how this, this shift, because it's, it's much more of a mindset shift and a cultural shift, um, it, it will take time. And I think that's okay. 
I think that's completely okay. What, what we want to make sure is that, again, it's, it's not disruptive to people when it is something they need to do. We want to make it easy, the onboarding of it easy and the adoption of how much they, they start to engage their workforce to do more. I think um, we want that really easy. So I think that uh, the future is bright for everyone. And um, I'm, I'm so excited to see where this takes us. We just have like a couple more minutes, guys, with you. I want to be respectful of your time uh, as well. Um, if there's anything, uh, we're still in early 2022 as we record this. The show's going to run in February, early February of 2022. Is there one or two things as you look ahead throughout the, the balance of this year, both from just an SAP success factors uh, point of view or just with your client's point of view, like, hey, this is a really exciting opportunity that, that we have and our customers have, and we're really excited about this, right, for the balance of this year? Is there one or two things that come to mind? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is really this concept of sustainability. And, and we're about to release a new campaign called Human Economics, right? And, and that really speaks to the fact that this is an economy, right, that we're talking about. And, and we want to ensure that we're maximizing everything that individuals bring to the table. We want to think about it first from an employee perspective. And I, I think we're at a time when everybody has the opportunity to do that. And it's, it's imperative that they do, right? Because that's what employees are expecting today. Uh, Trish just triggered an idea. So I'll throw it out there as kind of my second exciting thing. Trish, you said you, you wish HR leaders would go ask their kids, right? Yes. Go ask your kids. Yeah. What if you guys interview a couple of kids, some college age kids? Because I can tell you, I've been schooled by my 18-year-old who's been interviewing for internships. Because for every 10 internships you interview for, you get one. And so she went through a long journey of interviewing for these things. And I can guarantee you, Kaylee Papelka, Ashton Bear too, yeah. would not be afraid to give you a yes, perspective. We do have two candidates. <laughs> no, you know what? We would love to do that. Actually, it's funny. So at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we had our kids at home too, and we actually had some of them on. Um, and then Steve, it's been what, a month or so ago, maybe we had actually two of the, um, highest level performers from my kids high school come on they actually have their own podcast but we had them come on and talk about you know the world of work and what they're expecting and, and one is going to likely be the valedictorian and the other is probably going to be the salutatorian mm -hmm. so just very you know very good young men who came on and shared that with us but we would love to invite you know your kids to come on as well because I think that's important um, throughout my career in HR I've always used my kids as like look at this. What do you think of that? Because they've grown up watching me on social media. They've grown up hearing about human resources and people and performance, and they have big opinions right now that it's time now that they're going out into the world. So I would love that. Um, I know Steve would too. So we'll make that happen. <laughs> yeah, that would be really fun. I remember one of my very favorite shows we ever did on, on, the, on the happy hours a couple of years ago. Now we had the woman who is in charge. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she was in charge of Google's internship program that they made the movie mm -hmm. out of. Right? And yes. so we spent like yep. 45 minutes with her talking about college internship programs specifically in theirs, right? Because it's like the famous one they made the movie of, but I'd love to revisit that topic and, and more broadly, right? How kind of the next generation is thinking about some of these things and what they're looking for, what they're honestly, what they're expecting, right? From work and workplaces. Cause I think for, for HR and business leaders, you better come to grips with that pretty fast if you haven't, because that generation's coming quickly. Right. And, uh, and it's not a straightforward topic, Steve, right? Are we over automating talent acquisition, right? Because so many people say, so, so we know the job market today. We know that there's a shortage of skills. And yet so many people still say they can't find a job. It happens yeah. all the time. 
Yeah. All the time. There, there's 10 and a half to 11 million unfilled jobs right now in the United States. Right. Right. It, it's, it has been like that for months. Yeah. Man, yeah. we could do like a whole nother two shows on this stuff. We'll we have probably to do a series finish, later, <laughs> but uh, we will have to follow up with uh, yes. Meg and Jill's children. I think uh, maybe like, you know, in the next couple of months and then maybe we'll circle back with Meg and Jill, like maybe another six months or so and see, see how like things that. are going. I think that'd be a pretty good idea. You won't want us back after you talk to Kaylee and Ashton. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get the dirt, right? We'll we'll find out what's really going on. They definitely have strong opinions and are willing to tell us all the things we're doing wrong, I'm sure. We have no idea where they got that. I feel like we need to fly them in so that they're side by side, just like this, though. We need to have them like- Make that happen. Yeah, right together. So good. All right. So I think we'll wrap here, right? A lot of interesting things to think about, lots of- Lots of things to be excited about. Certainly lots of things happening with SAP success factors, both on the product side and what you're doing in the community, what you're doing with your clients. Uh, it's been really, really great to see both of you. Uh, Jill Papelka, Meg Bear. thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Trish. Awesome. Good stuff. Trish, great stuff. Thank you. I love Really it. good. Glad that you're yeah. well, by the way. You're, you're on the mend completely. I am on the mend. COVID be gone. I did hear that I am... Um, I guess like have super immunity now. So apparently if you've had all your vaccinations and you have had COVID, then you have some kind of super immunity. I don't know that I believe that I'm still going to I think that that's mask. what you should name you. your boat you sail around the world in then. Call super it the immunity. super immunity, you know, <laughs> SS super immunity or something like that. I don't okay. want to jinx myself. We'll, I'll probably get it again if I say that. So we no. will put some links in the show notes for folks who can uh, learn more about what's going on at SAP Success Factors, engage with Meg, Jill and the teams there. Really, really good stuff. Um, for them, for you, Trish McFarland, thanks so much. Uh, remember to subscribe to the HR Happy Hour wherever you get your podcast, all the show archives, hrhappyhour.net. My name's Steve Bowes. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now.